day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I hope everyone is staying warm and a little safe today, given all of the snow that we got overnight. Uh, Be careful if you're out in the streets and enjoy the snow. If you are a young person, I remember so fondly snow days like this uh, when I was a kid here in Detroit. So when someone dies, we talk of loss and of the deceased as having passed away. And death is all around us right now. Thousands die every day from this virus that we seem to always be trying to get under control. But loss, losing loved ones, losing friendships, the loss of work, even the loss of trivial everyday materials, this occurs all the time, even if sometimes it's in smaller ways than others. One day, something we cherish or someone we cherish is here. It means so much to us, and we love it or them dearly. And then it's gone, forcing us to reckon with what was and what we need to be okay going forward. Loss in its most extreme iteration can move us toward alienation or solitude. And we're forced to ask, where did that thing, that person go? And how are we to make sense of the world without their presence? And of course, loss in our lives has a mere opposite, a backward twin, perhaps, called finding. When we find something new, or someone new, we begin to feel at least partly whole and fulfilled. Think of the first day you own and listen to a new piece of music by an artist maybe that you'd never heard of. Or that first few months of a relationship with someone you just met. It can all open up the world, even if just a little. It invigorates and defines us in a way that we haven't experienced before. And finding things or people that bring us joy, it feeds us. It feeds our minds and our spirits and even our physical well-being. Catherine Schultz is a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer for The New Yorker who has done an awful lot of thinking about losing things and finding things. And that is the core of her new memoir, Lost and Found. Catherine Schultz joins us now to talk about her work. Catherine, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah. So you capture the multiplicity of loss really well in this book. Uh, But one thing you specifically note, and that's an important part of loss, I think, is disbelief. When we lose something, it's hard to get our minds around the idea that it's gone. Can Can you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that's interesting to me, you just gave this lovely introduction to the idea of loss and and how it spans all the way from these incredibly trivial things, you know, like our keys and cell phone and wallet uh, to to really momentous things, you know, our faith, our marriage, uh, someone we, we dearly love. 
And yet across that whole range of things, I do think there's this element of disbelief <laughs> that accompanies the, the experience of losing something. I mean, we've all uh, experienced this in a kind of everyday way, you know, where you walk into the house carrying, you know, the mail from your mailbox and 10 minutes later, you go to look for the bill you brought in and you, you cannot find it and you turn your house upside down, right? And, and there is just this feeling of like, how is this even possible, right? Like, is there a wormhole in my in my front hall or something? Uh, and, and that feeling of disbelief about the possibility that things can just vanish uh, then takes on this much grimmer and more difficult form when we do lose really important things, you know, um, in, in the face of a divorce or a death, we still feel that kind of, shock of, of how could this have happened? How could this person just be gone? Uh, but of course, there, there's none of the kind of levity or the sort of, you know, <laughs> wormhole uh, uh, version of that experience. It's just really existentially upsetting. You know, something, yeah. as you said, something really precious to us was here and, and then suddenly it's gone. Yeah. So I, I always love to talk with authors about structure in in their work and i i think the structure of of this book is super super interesting um technically it only has three chapters <laughs> uh, <That's right>. there <laughs> is uh, there is a chapter on loss called lost there's a chapter on finding things called found and then there is the third chapter and Talk to me. Talk to me about that structure. Where did you Where did you come up with that? Sure. Uh, well, I'm very happy to say that I came up with it right away, and it, in fact, it's the reason I wrote the book. Um, and anyone who's ever tried to write anything, uh, including you know, just like a grant proposal, knows that uh, structure is is the real challenge of almost all writing. Uh, yes. So it's a great gift to an author um, if you do happen to know your structure right away. And <laughs> if it hits you like a lightning bolt, it's a I lot. I know, easier. I know. I mean, obviously, there's always these kind of microstructural questions, like within any section. You know, does this go first? Does this go second? But but knowing that overarching structure is a huge relief. Uh, and in this case, I did know it from the get go. Um, and it came about because uh, I had written for The New Yorker after my dad died. I, I wrote this kind of strange little elegy for him uh, that was about his death and my grief over it, but also a, a kind of exploration of this larger category of loss. Mm -hmm. And so that piece uh, was kind of already in my mind. And uh, at some point, someone asked me if I would be interested in expanding it into a book. And at the time, I really wasn't. Uh, but then... And I wasn't because I felt like I didn't want to spend a couple of years of my life just thinking about grief, although there's heaven knows endless things to think about with respect to grief. Uh, but, but it wasn't where I was at and it wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, then you use this nice phrase in your introduction about a kind of mirror image. And it did occur to me kind of right away, oh, well, there is this sort of mirror image of the story I already told, which is a, a story about finding, right? And the great joy of, of discovering things in our lives. And I knew right away there was, um, in the same way that the story of losing my father was the emotional heart of Lost, of course, there was this emotional heart of any exploration of finding, which was the story of, of falling in love, you know, finding my partner, which is by far the greatest thing I've ever found. Mm. So I had those two pieces, but I somehow still didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I, I want to go write this book. Um, but it was actually this very mundane phrase, uh, lost and found, that, that that did make the book and the structure click into place. Uh, someone happened to say it to me when I was sort of describing my thought process about this. And in that way that the mind is a very um, unpredictable 
thing. I, I, I landed for some reason on that word and the kind of connection between these two experiences. I think in part because I, I did have the, um, the experience of falling in love and losing my father in very quick succession. Mm-hmm. So I had already spent a lot of time thinking about the way that life does not deliver us, you know, one thing to experience at once. You know, we don't just get to revel in falling in love because the next thing we know we're in a hospital and our dad is dying and we're kind of contending with all these emotions at once. So the minute I had that kind of and notion, the whole book just sort of sprung. I mean, I wish it had sprung into being. <laughs> the whole idea of the book <laughs> sprang into being. Uh, and and I, I knew right away it was a triptych and, it, and it, I knew the kind of lost, found, and sections and I knew what order they had to go in. So um, yeah, it was, as I said, a, a real gift to a writer. I had to figure out a lot, but at least I didn't have to figure that part out. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, the title, Lost and Found, is an echo, I think, of a couple of really important things in in our lives first of all lost and found is is something we're all kind of familiar with i think first from school uh, mm. the, the the idea of the the lost and found bin or room or whatever it is that uh, that that they set up for scarves and hats and mm. shoes and all kinds of other things that we can't keep track of when we're young but there there is also the echo of just the basic way i think we think about our lives in terms of gain and and loss in terms of things that we accumulate over the time that we're alive and then the things that that slip away from us there's there's something really fundamental about humanity regardless of of culture i think that that really defines our lives that way really defines the way we think of ourselves that way, um, and, and I, I've always thought that that the, the the concept, that sort of crude physical concept of lost and found at a school or at a bar or wherever, is such a such a basic manifestation of, again, uh, of the way we think of life, of the way we think of ourselves. Um, there's something visceral about it. I think that's exactly right. You know, and I love this invocation of the kind of elementary school lost and found or the one at your, you know, local library or, or the train station or whatever, because it, first of all, it is so everyday. And a part of this book really is, all of this book in a sense, really is a, a kind of exploration and in many ways a celebration of the everyday, you know, just of, of absolutely ordinary life. I have a quite ordinary life. This is not a memoir that hinges on either um you know, some really dramatic tale of, you know, I got almost eaten by a bear in Siberia, or I'm, I'm incredibly famous, right? <laughs> Michelle Obama. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's about the everyday. And I think you're exactly right to, to note that this idea of lost and found is somehow simultaneously just this like humble place that, that we're all familiar with, where you know, entropy just, the, the consequence of entropy reigns, you know, it's where our extra glove is and where our lunchbox is and, and you know, where the baseball cap we were wearing this morning winds up, just kind of the, the, the detritus of our life sort of washes away to us and from us and into this centralized location. But mm-hmm. it is also, uh, and, and this I think is why I was drawn to it, it's simultaneously that really humble everyday idea and, of course, incredibly existential you know, I mean, the, the fundamental mysteries of life is, you know, are how things come into being and, and how things exit 
yeah. existence. <laughs> and, and, and that is loss and discovery, right? And, and, you know, there's no getting away from that as a defining feature of what it's like to be alive. You know, incredible things happen to us and we marvel that existence has, has rewarded us with them. And then of course, you know, we leave this world, people we love leave this world, uh, things very precious to us vanish. Uh, so there is this, um, I think, just fundamental connection to the kind of grand mysteries of the cosmos. And, and that's what was exciting to me about the book was, was the combination of this really humble everyday experience and then this chance to, to sort of look at those mysteries closely. Hmm. I'm talking with Catherine Schultz. Uh, she's a writer for The New Yorker, and she has a memoir out called lost and found uh, we're talking about the two ends of uh, that dynamic in our lives the things we lose the things that slip away from us and the things that we find along the way that uh, bring us joy or maybe replace the sense of loss we have for specific things uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well are you dealing with loss or grief have you recently lost someone or something quite precious to you? Uh, think of how much loss we've all endured, not only as individuals, but uh, as a community during the last two years uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, talk about how you experience that grief or that loss. What's the process like? Uh, and how do you move beyond the real pain that that comes along with those kinds of losses. Uh, also, give us an idea of what kinds of things you might have found or uncovered because maybe of the losses that you've had or maybe that are related to the losses that you've experienced. Are you helping other people navigate their way through this process as well right now? I think for a lot of us, that caregiving burden of helping the people around us not just survive all of this, but make sense of it uh, is a really profound uh, dynamic right now. Uh, also give us a call and maybe just tell us about the coolest thing in your life that you found, the coolest person or the coolest object or the coolest pursuit, uh, the thing that you can't imagine what your life would be without, uh, but that maybe you did without for a really long time until you actually found it. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and uh, we'll include you in the conversation that way. Uh, so Catherine, I wanna talk about these three different parts of, uh, of your book, Lost, Found, and And. And uh, of course, uh, the, 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 the central, character in the lost chapter chapter is 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 your father um and uh, i i want you to talk about what that loss was like what it meant and how in the book i think uh, you you phrase or you frame the idea of this kind of loss and the way uh it changes the way it changes you the way the grief process changes you and how you also came to find so much of your father through losing him. Again, the two ends of this dynamic that travel together in, in so many instances. 
Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I'm particularly thrilled to be on your show today because my dad would be so happy about it. Uh, my dad was a <laughs> refugee to this country. And uh, when, when he got here, I think he spent about 72 hours in New York, but then uh, was whisked straight uh, to Detroit, which is where he grew up. So mm -hmm. he would be really thrilled uh, to know that I was on this program. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you asked because I love to talk about my dad. He was a really remarkable person. Uh, his name was Isaac Schultz, which I say both because it's uh, lovely to say it, but also because it, for all I know, there, there are still people out there listening to you who, know who, who might have known him, exactly, or even <laughs> grown up with him. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny. My father had a, an early life that was actually profoundly shaped by loss on a pretty grand scale. Um, he was born in, in Tel Aviv when it was still a part of Palestine to uh, a mother uh, who was uh, had grown up on a shtetl in Poland and was one of a family of 13. And uh, she, when, when, when the Second World War was coming, they kind of scrounged up enough money to, to send their youngest child, uh, which was my grandmother, to off to safety or relative safety in, in Palestine. And all but one of the other members of that family perished in Auschwitz. Uh, so the youngest and oldest child survived my great aunt, uh, who also wound up in Detroit, and my grandmother. Uh, so my father, you know, grew up with this incredible uh, familial trauma, uh, but then also kind of experienced in his own life. He was, his immediate family was kind of kicked around the globe by the combined forces of, of violence and poverty uh, until they did finally get refugee visas and land in Detroit. And part of what's really fascinating to me about my dad uh, is that despite all this, uh, he became truly one of the most joyful people you could ever hope to meet. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, he, he really just cherished life. He cherished other people. Uh, he was profoundly compassionate and um, really uncannily brilliant. So, uh, you know, I, I feel lucky every day to have grown up in the family I did, and not just my father, certainly my mother as well, uh, who frankly probably kind of tamed him and reformed him and, and made him fit to be a parent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... Um, I think often about this this very obvious thing about grief, which is that it it exists in kind of identical proportion and, and shape to the love whose absence it represents. Uh, and and I grieved my father in proportion to how much I loved him, which was tremendously. He was, um, as I said, a, a really fun father, a really doting father who loved being a parent and uh, and really shared with his daughters, my sister and me. Uh, um, this incredibly infectious love of, of the world, of people, of ideas, of place. Uh, so, um, yeah, he was he was really a remarkable character. And I hope that in that lost section that is about mourning him and, and to some extent about his life, uh, I, I do try to talk at length about the kind of everyday texture of grief because I think it's important and I think it's interesting. But I hope that um, the kind of joy and love that undergird that grief come through strongly as well yeah and that and that idea that even after someone's gone uh you often find more about them than perhaps you knew when they were alive that's something i absolutely have uh, experienced i lost my father when i was 14 so mm. i've had uh 37 years uh to 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 learn more about him and just to learn about him, right? Uh, and I feel like I know him much better now than I ever did, uh, you know, as a child, uh, when, when, when our parents are mythical and, and kind of fictional almost. I mean, he's a much more 
real character to me now than he was then. Mm, what a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I did, I'm very fortunate. I did get to know my father kind of into my own full adulthood. And I, you, you know, you're always your parent's child, of course, but, uh, but we were able, I think, to also have a, an adult relationship uh, mm -hmm. and, and to get to know each other in those terms. And my dad was a really open kind of guy. Uh, he, he wasn't, um, enigmatic you know he didn't have to pride his, <laughs> his past or his life off him. Uh, but that said you know it is interesting you, you do know your parents as a child um, and, and you don't know them as a partner or, or a best high school buddy or you know any of a colleague so it's true that as terribly sad as it is to lose someone a, a beautiful thing I think if you're lucky happens in the aftermath of that which is People tell you stories about them, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. I, I did from literally from from the memorial service onward, uh, there has been this kind of lovely experience of people standing up, you know, at, at that service or reaching out after the fact to say, I knew your dad, let me tell you a story about him. And it's true that they feel like little gems, you know, like, <laughs> like some kind of treasure ship wrecked, but these little you know, emeralds and, and gold coins kind of drift to the to the surface occasionally and, and you get to experience the joy of, of seeing this little glimpse of, of someone who's otherwise gone. Yeah. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Catherine Schultz about her memoir, Lost and Found. And we will start to hear from you, the listeners, about the things that you've lost in your life, uh, the things that you've found and how they kind of mix all together uh, to make uh, your life what it is. Uh, give us a call. Let us know if you're dealing with loss right now. Let us know about the things that you've found in life that you just can't imagine living without. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson. And my guest is Catherine Schultz, a writer for The New Yorker, who has a new memoir out called... Lost and Found, we're talking about the things we lose in our lives and the things we find and the way they shape who we are, but also the way they kind of interrelate to one another. I want to hear from you as well. What things have you lost? Are you dealing with loss right now? Uh, what kind of things have you found in your life uh, that uh, really shape who you are and what you experience. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. Let's start today with Brandon in Sterling Heights. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so what I wanted to talk about is just the kind of cumulative effect of the last couple of years. I've lost a few people that were pretty close to me. Some were just kind of community members I saw through my customer service job. And recently I found out that, uh, unfortunately, an ex of mine ended up missing. And 
I've been checking and checking and it doesn't really seem like great news and I'm just kind of struggling. I'm struggling to kind of like adapt to just kind of like the different waves of moods I'm feeling through the last couple of years. Yeah. uh, Brandon, I'm sorry about uh, all of that. And that, that idea of someone who was once in your life going missing. I mean, that's just horrific. I can't imagine how you, how you process that. Brandon, can you tell us a little about how you're, managing all of those things like how do you how do you work through them or process them it's honestly been a little bit shaky uh i mean like i just try to do my best to kind of just keep my head up and just kind of like believe and you know like the kind of positive influences that i can affect by being myself and kind of going about things but you know it's it's just tough to have a lot of unknowns you know um i i don't understand like where you know my uh, former partner ended up leaving to i I don't understand you know just kind of like what kind of prompted the decisions and it's it's just it's tough i i don't really know how to Mm. kind of reconcile all the all the loss sure well brandon i'm i'm really glad you called and shared that experience with us and i of course hope that uh that that things work out in some way that uh, that you can find peace with. Um, Catherine Schultz, I mean, just, you can hear in Brandon's voice, I think, the, the difficulty and the, the, the pain associated with this kind of thing. I mean, loss is just, it cuts so deep. Um, uh, and, and, you know, as he points out, it, it comes from unexpected places. Who would ever think that he would be going through the kind of things that, uh, that he is? Yeah, absolutely. And Brandon, thank you for calling. And my heart really does go out to you. I mean, I will say, I think that truly one of the hardest things any of us can ever face in life is a, a real disappearance like that. I mean, loss comes in many forms and, and some of those forms are more clear cut than others. You know, when my father died, there was no mystery about uh, what had happened to him or, or whether I would ever get him back in any way. Um, mm-hmm. And Perversely, when when someone just vanishes, uh, you know, on the one hand, there's this kind of glimmer of hope, and and yet I think that that's actually excruciating, and and the kind of endless mystery of it, and, and wondering and confusion, is a really really hard thing to sit with. So, I am incredibly sorry. I actually thought a lot about the kind of missing persons phenomenon while writing this book, um, and and read a lot about it, and. It's it's really tough, you know. Um, as is as is loss of humans in, in any form, you know, uh, whether whether that is you know estrangement or the end of a relationship or, or death, they're all brutal. And I will say also in response to that caller, boy, it's been a rough couple of years. Yes. You know, I mean, loss is is always with us. Uh, sometimes more than others at some life stages, more than others. But we are. Uh, unquestionably living through a moment when it is omnipresent and and taking a toll on a scale that most of us really have not ever anticipated or experienced before, uh, kind of a a global loss. Um, And it is cumulative and it is very, very hard. And those losses, uh, it was interesting for me because most of the loss section of this book was written before the pandemic began. And so it was really shocking to then suddenly watch kind of in real time as all of us had to contend with not just this 
inordinate quantity of loss, uh, which of course at the most tragic end is just this unprecedented uh, loss of life, but also just the sheer range of things we were losing, you know, yeah. regular schooling, you know, just uh, the ability to just like walk into a, a grocery store, you know, things you wouldn't have ever even thought we could lose were, were, were suddenly lost. And I think it's been really, really hard. And I say that chiefly by way of um, comfort to the extent that that's possible just to reassure Brandon and people like him that you're not alone. You know, yeah. it's not, you're not unmoored or unreasonable and nothing is wrong with you if if you feel shaky and if you are not exactly clear on, on how this is going to end or, or how to put one foot in front of the other. Um, but I think, um, I think that caller is very astute to and uh, emotionally wise to try to seek joy to try to think about, well, what can I do? You know, I know, I know from my own part, um, I'm, I'm always reluctant to give advice because everyone's life is so different and, uh, and, and loss can take such different kinds of tools. But I, I do, as a rule, feel better if I'm just trying to help someone else. You know, I, uh, it's one of the only things I know to do when my own emotions become overwhelming. Uh, and certainly it's a time when we all need one another's help. But um, yes, that's, that's a terrible kind of loss. And I'm really so sorry to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Brandon, best wishes for uh, you sorting through uh, all that you're dealing with. Uh, let's take another call from uh, Kathy this time in Northville. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. I have a question for the author. I've had a loss recently in my life. I'm going to try to hold it together when I say it. Um, of, no, I'm not. Of my life partner um, mm -hmm. about eight months ago, he died, went to work, didn't come home. So it was unexpected as, as you just said um the thing about it is i mean it's inevitable we're all gonna die and it's uncanny to me that we don't have a good handle on it so i mm. i get it and i know that um grief is a process and and it's not a fun process but do you have any thoughts or strategies uh for pivoting for um, you know, I, there's a lot of grief sites that talk about, you know, how many years later and people still can't go on. I don't want to be that girl. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with grieving and, and loving and being sad versus depressed, you know. Sure. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts of how to pivot or, you know, th that are practical almost, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, besides being just grateful because some days it's, it's not there. But if you've got some stuff you can do. I'd be open to hearing it. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, Kathy, thank you. I'm so sorry. That's devastating. Uh, and, you know, in the same way that, that someone just going missing is uniquely hard, kind of sudden vanishing like that, just the utterly unexpected death is uh, is really brutal, including because there is no chance to, to say goodbye. <laughs> you know, one of the hardest things of all. Um, so I'm incredibly sorry to hear it. And uh, if you heard me laugh a little bit while you were asking that question, it was, of course, not a, a laugh of comedy or laughing at you. It was a laugh of real appreciation. You said something so wise, which is, we're all going to die. Like, how come we don't have a handle on this? <laughs> it's a great, it's, it's a great insight. Surprise, I mean, right? I, I, yeah, you know, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It is kind of the mystery of death. Like this thing is going to happen to us. It's going to happen to everyone we love. And yet it's totally staggering when it happens, like as if, as if we had no idea, you know, no one told us. Uh, so I, I really appreciate kind of the situation you're in and, and also your perspective on it. You know, I guess my feeling about 
the uh, kind of, there's a lot of resources out there for people who are grieving and I'm incredibly glad they exist. Partly because as I said earlier, everyone's life is so unique. I think it's impossible to know what is gonna work for someone or what's gonna to speak to them or what's gonna move them uh, and, and feel like an anchor and be useful. So I don't ever, ever, ever wanna be dismissive of any of that, uh, which, I, which I say as a kind of preface to saying that I personally have never found it helpful to encounter these kind of like, well, you know, grief takes X long if you lost a partner and X long if you lost a child and X long if you lost a parent. Like I, I, I'm sure that in some way figures like that is are, are helpful to some people, but they've never been helpful to me. And I, I appreciate that they aren't to you. And I guess um, the one practical piece of advice I have for you is, is to heartily ignore that, um, partly because I think they do not do justice to the lived experience of grief which is, and I write about this extensively in the book, which is never uniform, right? It's not like every single day you're in the same black swamp of misery, just trudging through it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's the landscape is identical and the view is identical. Grief is not like that. There are maybe stretches that feel like that, but um, grief is really chaotic, right? And it includes a lot of things, including joy and including gratitude. Uh, so I, I think any notion of like, well, you know, so sorry, but you're going to feel this way for the next two years or five years or 10 years is, is really misguided about what it feels like to grieve. Um, and a thing I have tried to remind myself, um, you know, both in the aftermath of my father's death and I, you know, much younger, I, I lost someone uh, as the caller did in a really sudden way um, to just try to remember that um, today is not predictive of tomorrow <laughs> and this hour is not predictive of the next hour. You know, right. we change and we change and we change, uh, including emotionally. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I don't think it's ever helpful to deny how we're feeling. And my experience is it's also pointless. Like grief is so powerful when it wants to overtake us, it will overtake us. And uh, mm. I don't, I don't think it's good to try to pretend it away. And I, I think we have to kind of give into it in those moments when it washes over us because it's, you know, in a, in a very kind of narrow, immediate sense, it's just stronger than you. It'll bring you to your knees, but it's not stronger than you in, in the overarching sense. And it is a reflection of love. And, you know, I, um, mm -hmm. I do think it's important to, as often as possible, just bit by bit, reattach yourself to joy, you know, and, 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 yes. and actively decide, well, I'm, I'm going to choose on the side of, of life. You know, I'm, I'm confronting death, but I am going to, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to go to that dinner. I'm going to go to that party. I'm going to sit with a friend. It's fine if I still feel awful during it or afterward. It's, it's the right thing to do. Or I'm going to just, you know, go be with people or go try to help someone else. I will say that I'm incredibly mindful how all of this is complicated by the ongoing pandemic. I mean, I think it's a really really lonely time mm -hmm. to grieve and you know depending on your circumstances you may be kind of more or less able to, to incur the kind of you know health risks that that are involved tragically right now in, in just being around one another yeah uh, but it, it's a tough moment for it and, and my heart really does go out to everyone who's been contending with immediate grief on top of everything else in these last couple of years but yes i i, I wish i had more practical advice but um and I, I try to be really specific in recounting my own story of going through grief because yeah. you, you don't ever know what will be useful to someone else. So kind of like, oh, this is what it was like for you or this is what you did. But, um, you know, I, I think um, 
sounds like that caller has very good instincts about I think so. about death and how to confront it. And, and I think sometimes uh, ignoring everyone else and trusting your own instincts is not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Catherine Schultz about uh, her memoir, Lost and Found. We're going to talk about found next, uh, the things that come along in our lives that make it better and maybe make up for some of the losses that we experience. I want to hear from you about those as well. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is Catherine Schultz, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who works for The New Yorker. She's also an accomplished author, and her new memoir is called Lost and Found. It's about uh, that kind of twin dynamic in our lives, the things that we can't hold on to forever, that get away from us, and the things that we gain uh, through life and our experiences. I want to hear from you as well about the things you're grappling with right now. Is it loss, the losses that all of us are enduring uh, because of the pandemic, uh, other losses that uh, maybe are going less noticed because of all the attention to the pandemic, uh, but also what kind of things are you finding? Lots of people, I think, have found uh, new ways to find joy or just peace during the pandemic in uh, activities or people that weren't part of their lives before. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook or Twitter as well and put comments there. Uh, Catherine, I do want to talk about found, and it's one of the more uh, joyful, of course, uh, parts uh, of the book. Y you talk about this person who comes into your life before you lose your father and then becomes, of course, the, the center uh, of your life. Tell us about what you found. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, one of the joys of writing this book is it, uh, it really is kind of a, um, a pay-on to these two people I love very much, my father and my partner. Um, yes, I found my partner. Uh, she, she goes by C in the book. Um, in real life, her name is Casey. Uh, before my father died and married her after my father died. Uh, so, so we had kind of um, one one of everything mm -hmm. <laughs> together, if that makes sense, <laughs> you know, one, time. yeah, like one Thanksgiving, <laughs> one New Year's, one anniversary, and, and, and that was that in terms yeah. of kind of these things overlapping. Uh, and I think about it a lot because I, it was this interesting moment in my life where, um, you know, the, the family that made me uh, kind of lost this, this fundamental component, but, but I was in the meantime making a family of my own, uh, which was so joyful. Um, my, uh, my partner and I met because a um, mutual acquaintance of ours at the time, neither of us knew her very well, but 
she knew both of us and, and she just like shot one of those emails, you know, oh, I think you two would really like each other. Uh, she was not trying to set us up. Uh, she just thought we might genuinely kind of be, just get along. Uh, but uh, at the time I was living up in the Hudson Valley of New York and Casey was living down on the Eastern shore of Maryland where she's from and, and where I now live too. Uh, so, you know, several States away, there was no obvious way to meet up, but uh, eventually she found herself on a road trip uh, to go see a friend in Vermont. My house happened to be kind of a, a nice little midway point to stop for lunch. <laughs> So she wrote and said, do you want to grab lunch? And uh, I remember very vividly, I was on deadline that day. And so I, I thought, oh, well, you know, I should do this. I need to eat lunch anyway. And friend of a friend, I'll be a nice human being. I'll get a quick lunch and, you know, 45 minute tops, <laughs> get back to work. Uh, and, you know, and then I, I, I go and uh, we meet up at this little cafe. And I, I don't know, maybe four hours later, I <laughs> made it back home. <laughs> Just one of these lunches where... Um, you know, I, I right away um, just found her remarkable, you know, incredibly interesting, incredibly smart, uh, just there's sort of um, no small talk, you know, and I, I don't say that dismissively, I kind of like small talk, it's fun, it's interesting, but, you know, occasionally you meet someone and from like one minute in, you're, you're having conversations at a level that uh, some friendships never get to, you know, yeah. some relationships never get to, and we just were kind of there right away and time fell away and everything else fell away. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how we met. And, um, you know, for, for callers uh, like the ones that, um, that we just spoke to who are in these hard moments of their life, I do just want to say one of the things I find so incredible about love and actually about life in general, because of this, um, the experience I'm about to describe does not, it's not specific to romantic love. It can take a lot of forms, but it is incredible to me how life can change in a day. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and we often think about that in in the um, in the heartbreaking way, you know, your your husband goes to work and never comes back that day, you know. Um and and life has changed, you know, in, in 24 hours for the much worse, but of course the opposite happens too, right? <laughs> you go to lunch and suddenly you literally like a whole new future opens up in front of you, you know. Um and uh, and I, I do just um, speaking of taking the side of joy, I, I think we should dwell at least as often in in the kind of shocking ways that the universe just kind of rewards us and <laughs> gives us these beautiful things uh, as in its propensity to also take them away. Mm -hmm. And and you you also talk a lot about other people and things that they found uh, in in this in this book. Uh, talk about some of those. The stories. Sure. Well, my my absolute favorite story of finding in this book is also um, the one story I try to tell very carefully because um, although this book does not really operate primarily on the basis of suspense, uh, there is one potential spoiler in it, and I'm going to try very hard not to spoil it. But um, <laughs> but but my favorite instance of finding, not only in the book but maybe the greatest one I've ever heard, um, is about uh, I heard this straight from the horse's mouth. Um, it's about a little boy, no longer a little boy, but at the time he was a little boy um, named Billy, uh, who when, when he was 12 years old, um, was walking home from his neighbor's house one night. He lived in a very rural part of the country and was walking home across the fields and uh, was almost hit by a falling star hmm. and uh, got up the next morning and when it was light, went out into the fields uh, and, and, and found it. And <laughs> I love this story both because, um, as it turns out, it's, it's shockingly unlikely. I mean, I did a little research into meteorites and um, while they do fall on the planet with some regularity, uh, the odds of watching one 
land and then like recovering that same meteorite. <laughs> it's just something on the order of one in a billion. I mean, it's incredibly rare. Five or six meteorites each year are found that way. So uh, it's, a, it's a really stunning and lucky kind of find. Um, and I love it because it's also, um, it, it feels to me so metaphorically apt, you know, I mean, literally something kind of rains down from the universe into our lives. And I think that's how falling in love feels. Uh, I, I think that's how a lot of, I think it's how um, having a great idea out of nowhere feels, a kind of epiphany, you know, is this sort of meteorite of the mind. Uh, so I, I love that story, both because the actual yarn is is really incredible and unlikely, but also because it does feel to me like a beautiful way to think about finding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to take another call here before we talk about and uh, Brad in Rochester Hills. Brad, welcome to hey, the show. Hey, uh, Steve, how you doing? Good. Go ahead. Hey, great. Uh, yeah, I just uh, enjoyed uh, this uh, conversation uh, with your uh, guest today in regards of grief and loss. Uh, uh, I've lost a couple of uh, people that were uh, dear to my heart, two mutual acquaintances uh, that uh, passed on during this uh, entire COVID pandemic. One uh, was my mom's best friend, uh, uh, and then the other was uh, one of the uh, deacons at my uh, church at St. Ernest Catholic Church in Rochester Hills, who was actually the deacon emeritus, who, among other uh, hats that he wore, he was... Uh, part of the secular Franciscans, and uh, he had a dramatic impact on uh, me and some of our other parishioners at uh, St. Irenaeus, and both passed away in late, in the late part of summer. It was September 10th that they both went home to be with the Lord, and it gave what I've even though I've lost them here on Earth, what I found in the process is I found a combination of grace and love that was sufficient for me. Mm. Wow. Brad, really appreciate the call. Uh, Catherine, what's your reaction? Yeah, what a lovely thought and, and what a beautiful way to be able to... Um, to think about and experience that, I think it's really admirable and um, and and actually pretty hard to come to that kind of peace. Uh, but of course, you're right. You know, I, I think there is um, there is a lot to be there. Are these there are these finds, you know, that are unrelated or, or more distantly related to loss, like we're falling in love or finding a meteorite. But there is a lot that we find in the face of grief, and I do think for a lot of people, uh, one of those things is. Uh, um, a renewed faith, a sense of of meaning, a sense of well, this is the this is the order of life, you know, and uh, and and these people are in a better place, and I can live in their honor. And you know, I write about this a lot in the book, uh, both directly and indirectly, because uh, the the partner who I was just describing how we met, um, she is a devout Lutheran, grew up in the Lutheran Church, uh, actually uh, studied theology and, and worked as a hospital chaplain for a while. Uh, and I grew up, you heard me say my father was a Jewish refugee. I grew up uh, Jewish uh, and, and emerged kind of um, profoundly skeptical of, of, of my own religious traditions and um, pretty agnostic and, and mystified in, in the best sense by, by the nature of existence. So a, a real dynamic and, and one I cherish in our relationship is thinking in very different terms about these kind of grand questions of, of the mysteries of life and the mysteries of death. And I am quite in awe of my partner's uh, kind of peaceful 
relationship to death. I do not have a peaceful relationship to death. <laughs> uh, and and I, and I, I think um, there is a lot of beauty that you can ground yourself in and, and reassurance you can ground yourself in uh, if you do have a cosmology that permits of this idea that um, in some sense, all is not lost, even when it feels that way. Now, I actually agree with that, too. I, I think there's all kinds of ways that even when someone is gone, they are not, um, you, you know, their time here mattered in ways that we can attach ourselves to and, and find a lot of comfort in. But, you know, you and I talked about both the humble and the existential overtones of this phrase, lost and found, you know, mm -hmm. from the elementary school to the um, kind of deep mysteries of existence. But there's this beautiful religious undertone in the also, of course, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found. We yes. have a notion that um, one of the many things we can find is is faith. And mm. uh, and in a broader sense, uh, for those of us who don't have that faith, that faith I do think we can find all kinds of, of peace in and, and awe about the nature of existence. And I, too, find a lot of solace in that in a different way. So I've been a bad host today, and I've left just a minute left for us to talk about and the final <laughs> chapter of your book. Uh, so, so talk about and the, I guess the tie between lost and fine. Sure. Well, actually you've been a fabulous host and this has been delightful and, and we can just tease readers and, and let them uh, find their own way to <laughs> the right. book and Get enjoy the book it. And but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually we've talked a lot about and already, you know, yeah. the way that grief and love uh, are, are inextricably intertwined. Uh, you know, we, we grieve because we love someone we fall in love and then we have to live with the possibility, not the possibility, the inevitability that sooner or later we will lose that person or be lost ourselves. Um, and, you know, Anne is about that and, and also about the all the other kinds of emotional conjunctions that define our lives, which, again, I think have been unusually obvious uh, in this pandemic era. You know, we have all lived with many, many feelings at once, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're terribly worried uh, for our elderly loved ones, uh, but incredibly grateful actually to have a bunch of time at home with our kids that we didn't expect you know <laughs> or we're really grateful to have time home with our kids but also like oh my gosh we have no childcare, and the school is really disrupted and we're exhausted so I, I think we've all lived with the and a huge amount these last couple of years and it was real pleasure to to sit with that idea and explore it in this book yeah okay Catherine schultz author of the new memoir lost and found it was really really great to have you here with us in Detroit. Uh, congratulations on the work and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a lovely conversation. Okay. That is going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about a new podcast produced by WDET titled Tracked and Traced. Talk about how we live in a society where we are constantly under surveillance. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.